2,997. That's how many people have been killed in Chicago since 2019, the year Lori Lightfoot took office as mayor. 15,436. That is how many people have been shot in Chicago since the year Lori Lightfoot took office. It's an American city. Those numbers seem pretty high, don't they? But to understand just how high, consider New York and LA. New York and LA are also both high crime cities, especially LA these days. And yet last year, Chicago's homicide rate was two and a half times higher than LA's. It was five times higher than New York's. Chicago's murder rate had been going down in 2016, 2017, 2018. Then Lori Lightfoot took over in 2019, and it spiked. Chicago in the Lightfoot era has been a war zone. None of that is particularly surprising to people who pay attention to the news. What is surprising, what is delightfully surprising, is that Chicago residents are finally doing something about it. Because last night, Lori Lightfoot lost her re-election bid for Chicago mayor. She didn't even make the top two, which means that Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson will head to the April 4th runoff in the race. Lori Lightfoot will ride off into the sunset. All of this should give at least some hope to dejected conservatives who think that there is no hope for the country. If even screwed up Chicago can muster the political vision and will to throw a bum out, what's stopping the rest of us from doing the same thing at the national level? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Before we begin, make sure you smash that like and subscribe button. Make sure you leave a little comment over here. You know, YouTube sometimes trying to keep us down. We want to make sure that everybody gets to see some real news as opposed to all that fake news that they usually see. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jaden Jehu, who says, I don't know how you haven't been banned yet, Big Mike, but I'm here for it. Keep preaching the truth, brother. Some people have noticed that I've had a lot of bleeps and things added into my show, big tech censor bars, because of the big tech rules that tell me that I can't say certain things. But you know me, if you tell me that I can't say something that is true and just, then I have to say it. And I have to say it. We're going to make very, very clear what big tech is censoring on this show. And if you want the uncensored show, you go to dailywire.com slash Knowles. You put in Code Knowles, you'll save a lot of money, you'll get a Daily Wire membership. But we are not going to just cut out portions of this show or my commentary. Not going to happen, okay? We are feeling good. We're feeling energized. We're feeling confident. I think we're all looking good very well, as well. And when you want to look good, you got to check out GenuCell. Right now, go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Do you want to look as young and sexy and youthful and vibrant as I do? Well, then you got to check out GenuCell. People are raving about GenuCell skincare. Jessica from Huntsville, Alabama says, my skin looks so soft and clear. I have seen a reduced number of fine lines and dark spots. I have found a new lifetime product. Absolutely love it. GenuCell was born from its founder in a small New Jersey town as a favor to one of his pharmacy customers. Using rare botanical extracts and scientifically researched ingredients, GenuCell is uniquely formulated to target all visible signs of aging. 
fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, sagging jawline, even the problem that I struggle with as someone whose diet consists of stogies and whiskey and black coffee and no sleep, which would be under eye bags. Genucel is terrific. The products work for both men and women. Fellas, I know we don't like to use cosmetics. I'll just tell you, men use these products sometimes more than women, specifically Genucel, because it's so great. You are guaranteed to see immediate results in 12 hours or your money back. I love them. Try Genucel's most popular package for 70% off at genucel.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Join millions of happy customers who've already fallen in love with the results. The founder is a great guy who believes in really great stuff and makes a great product. For a limited time, get Genucel's probiotic extract-infused moisturizer free with every most popular package, subscribe to get a complimentary bonus box. Go to genucel.com slash Knowles. These guys are bums. They are bums and we need to throw them out. One of the biggest bums in the government, maybe my least favorite member of the Biden administration, certainly the glibest member of the Biden administration, the most just cloyingly liberal and saccharine and argh, just drives me crazy, would be Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg who, while facing many serious challenges from his position as transportation secretary, a major train derailment that poisoned an entire Ohio town and threatened the air and and water supply for about 10% of the country, a a guy who is seeing all sorts of transportation problems from the airlines to the roads to infrastructure, Pete Buttigieg says that the thing he will most likely be remembered for the sun monster. Climate is not nonsense. Dealing with climate change is one of the biggest things that people like me and people like him will be remembered for after we're gone. That is not true. I was trying to think, well, maybe that's true in the sense that uh, Pete Buttigieg is spending all of his time worried about the sun monster. He's not spending any of his time worried about the railroads and the bridges and the roads. So that's why that's what he'll be remembered for. No, I actually believe Pete Buttigieg will be one of the only transportation secretaries in history to be remembered at all. Very few people can name even one transportation secretary in history. I remember Elaine Chao had it during Trump's administration. I, I couldn't name you a transportation secretary earlier than that. But I think people will remember Pete Buttigieg because his tenure has been so catastrophic. There have been so many transportation catastrophes during Pete Buttigieg's reign. So why is he focused on climate change? When Buttigieg or any lib in government says, well, hey, listen, what I I hope that I'm remembered for when my my term is up is not not what I did the day by day in my job. It's what we did for climate change. When he says something like that, he's making a pseudo-religious claim. It is just the bizarro world lib version of when a Christian politician says, listen, when all's said and done, once my political legacy is being written, the biographers are pulling out the notes, I hope they remember me as a good Christian man, a faithful servant of God who did what he was called to do, who kept the faith, who practiced virtue. We hear those kinds of statements all the time from Christians in public life. All the climate change piffle is the same sort of statement for libs in public life, because libs, generally speaking, don't believe in God. They either say outright that they don't believe in God, or they 
maybe pay lip service to belief in God, but they certainly don't behave in any way that would suggest that they do. They don't follow policies that would be in accordance with God's will and the church and traditional religion. And so their religion is climate change. That's their eschatology. That's their end times prophecy. That's their That's their sanctification will be serving Mother Gaia and the climate. That's their atonement. That's the the satisfaction that is demanded for the sin of pollution. That's their their roughly weird, fake religious worldview. And so Pete Buttigieg says that it it is just the cherry on top of this guy's confusion and incompetence Sunday. Now, with the Biden administration looking so weak, There are many, many people who are running for president. I I have said it before. I think I might be the only Republican in the country right now who is not at least considering running for president. And it's only because I'm too young. The Constitution says I can't run yet. Pretty much every other Republican is considering a campaign. Republicans see blood in the water. That is why the race is on. We now have three declared candidates on the right. Donald Trump is obviously running for re-election Nikki Haley is running, and Vivek Ramaswamy is running on the Republican side. Marianne Williamson, who is the new agey left-wing candidate who talked about dark psychic forces in 2020, she's running against Biden. The race is already on. We've now seen our first big super PAC ad. This ad would seem to be supporting a candidate who has not declared yet, but who is obviously going to run. That would be Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And Ron DeSantis' super PAC is taking aim at Nikki Haley. A tale of two governors, Ron DeSantis, always putting freedom first, undoing the Trump lockdowns, taking on Fauci's vaccine passports, taking on big corporations and unions defending parents' rights, taking on big banks to stop woke lending, and taking a stand. Sending Biden's migrants to Martha's Vineyard, DeSantis cut taxes, banned critical race theory, defended the unborn and expanded gun rights. Ron DeSantis, always putting freedom First, Nikki Haley, a woke empty suit who looks good on TV. But that's about it. Haley did nothing as governor but demolish Confederate memorials. Then Haley quit on Trump at the UN to run for president on a platform of identity politics and more money for Ukraine. Two governors, two different records. Nikki Haley, weak and woke. Ron DeSantis, always putting freedom first. So what does this tell you? For starters, this ad did not come from the DeSantis campaign because officially speaking, there is not right now an official DeSantis campaign. It's not like it came from his campaign committee. However, we have things in this country called super PACs. We have outside organizations that run ads on behalf of candidates. That's obviously what's behind this ad. And it shows you that DeSantis is obviously serious about running. Why is he taking aim against Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley right now is much lower in the polls than Ron DeSantis. It shows you that Ron DeSantis is aware of an important fact in politics, which is that no matter how much of a long shot a candidate would seem to be, anything can happen. You want proof of that? Look no further than 2016. All the smart people said there's no way Donald Trump is ever going to get the Republican nomination. And what happens? He trounces everybody else in the field. They said there's no way he could ever be elected president, the Hillary campaign was hoping that Republicans would nominate Trump. They said Trump would be the easiest one to beat. What happens? Trump absolutely cleans Hillary's clock. So DeSantis and 
more to it, Team DeSantis is signaling right now they are very, very serious about getting this nomination. They know they're in a good spot, that they have a real shot at clinching it, and they are not going to tolerate any competition. They're going to take every competitor seriously. They're taking Nikki Haley very seriously. Though I think many people are, are going to be looking at this ad so early, already airing in New Hampshire and I think Iowa as well, and saying, isn't this a little bit aggressive? Why is DeSantis, who's the number two guy with huge poll numbers right now, going so hard after another candidate. It's because Ron DeSantis intends to win the race, even if he's going to come off as a little bit aggressive to do it. The most interesting line about that ad, though, was not focused on Nikki Haley. Everyone's just focusing on DeSantis versus Haley in that ad. But the most interesting line was, the first part says, DeSantis put an end to the Trump lockdowns. So it looks like it's an ad against Nikki Haley, but really the biggest dig in there was a dig at Donald Trump, who is the only candidate beating Ron DeSantis right now. This is pretty much the first time that we have seen DeSantis or DeSantis World really swing back at the steady and increasing attacks from Donald Trump. But the candidate himself, Ron DeSantis himself, when asked about it, does not want to go after the former president. So uh, DeSantis was just asked on air, hey, what's your reaction when, when the former president goes after you? Here's his response. I read the whole thing, not one disparaging word about President Trump. Are you guys speaking now? Do you plan on speaking to him? He seems to be taking some shots at you. No, I mean, look, I, I mean, it's silly season. I mean, you know how how some of this stuff goes, and obviously he he does his thing, and it's just that's kind of kind of kind of who he is. But what I wanted to do was was just give an honest appraisal of kind of how we got to this point, the failures of the D.C. Republican establishment, and how Donald Trump was speaking to things that some of the old guard refused to address. And, and that's just a fact. And, you know, he can say, you know, what he wants about me. I'll always give him credit for the things that he did uh, that were positive. And I'm, and I'm appreciative of a lot of, of the things uh, that he did. Doesn't mean I, you know, agree, agree with, with everything um, that he's doing lately or whatever. Uh, but ultimately, it's about delivering for the people you represent and delivering for the country. This is the right tack. This is the right tack. Ron DeSantis is never going to beat Donald Trump in a barb throwing match. It's not going to happen. Marco Rubio tried it. Do you remember when Rubio went out and did that whole routine about how Trump has small hands and you know what that means? It just didn't land. Donald Trump is one of the most famous, successful, entertaining showmen in the entire country. And DeSantis doesn't have to do it right now. Trump has a lot of incentive to attack DeSantis. But DeSantis has a lot of momentum. He's got a lot of incentive not to irritate Trump because DeSantis, in order to win, needs to take over Trump's voters. So he's saying, look, I'm going to give Trump a lot of credit for the things he did that were positive. He did some things that were negative, which we're going to criticize in the Super PAC ads, but I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to be, and this is the whole pitch for the DeSantis campaign, I'm Trump without the baggage. I'm Trumpism without Trump. I'm the bigger, better, faster, smarter Trumpism. That's why he's running to the right of Trump right now, saying, oh, Trump was too weak on the lockdowns. I was really strong on the lockdowns. That's going to be his pitch. So how is Trump going to counter that? I mentioned last week, two weeks ago, after Trump went to Ohio, 
I said, this is peak Trump. This is the kind of Trump that really resonates. The Trump that really resonates is not the Trump throwing insults at DeSantis. It's fine. That's part of his character, but that's not what's going to win him the nomination. The Trump that resonates is not the Trump complaining about the stolen election in 2020. I am one of the most sympathetic people to claims of voter fraud and rigging and all the rest of it in 2020, but it's, it's just not going to resonate with voters in 2024. The most resonant Trump is the Trump who shows up to Ohio and brings people water and makes a joke about how some of the water is not Trump water, so you got to watch out. Maybe don't don't drink it. And goes to McDonald's and says, you did a great job cooking those Egg McMuffins. I know this menu better than anybody. And he's passing out hats and he's zinging one-liners. He's saying, I'm forcing the federal government to come here. And he's hanging out with people to whom he uniquely appeals and with whom he uniquely has something in common. It's paradoxical because he's a billionaire from New York, and yet he really seems more than any other Republican politician in my lifetime to have something in common with the forgotten man, the deplorables, the irredeemables, the flyover country, the people that our elites do not like. And so the way that Trump is now pivoting, I think he heard loud and clear that that's what works. Focus more on that. But it's not just going to be talk. Another one of the big pitches for Trump is He's not one of these all talk, no action politicians. Again, I'm not assessing his presidency. I'm not assessing his effectiveness in this moment. I'm just telling you that's the pitch. And so now what he's doing is he's releasing policy that leans into that identity. And we have not seen this in Trump's entire political career. We've seen this no clearer than in the trade policy that Trump released yesterday. Joe Biden claims to support American manufacturing, but in reality, he's pushing the same pro-China globalist agenda that ripped the industrial heart out of our country. It ripped us apart. Biden and the globalists support raising taxes on American production. They support more crippling regulations killing American jobs. They support skyrocketing domestic energy costs. And they support massive anti-American multinational agreements that send our wealth and factories overseas. Very simply, the Biden agenda taxes America to build up China. China is the big beneficiary. We cannot let that happen. To achieve this goal, we will phase in a system of universal baseline tariffs on most foreign products. On top of this, Higher tariffs will increase incrementally depending on how much individual foreign countries devalue their currency. We're not going to allow bad things to happen to our country anymore, and we will eliminate federal contracts for any company that outsources to China. You should watch the entire policy video. It's about five minutes long. We don't have time to play the whole thing on the show. Trump is offering an actual alternative, once again, to all of the other Republican candidates. Trump is calling explicitly for a mercantilist trade policy. For the past 30, 40 years, maybe even longer, the orthodoxy in the GOP has been for free trade. The the freer the trade, the better. Trump ran in many ways against that. He had problems with NAFTA. He was supportive of certain tariffs. But previously, he said, I support tariffs so that we can get even freer trade. I support tariffs as a negotiating position. 
Maybe that's what he's doing here now, but he's taking a much stronger stance on it. He's saying, I support universal tariffs. I don't support free trade. I support mercantilism. I support making goods in America, encouraging people to buy American goods, strongly discouraging people from buying foreign goods, strongly discouraging companies from outsourcing jobs overseas, even if it'll bring down the price of products. What Donald Trump is proposing here is an end to globalism. Free trade equals globalism. Tariffs and mercantilism equals a focus on the nation, nationalism. Now, the problem, you might say, well, good, I hate globalism, so I'm with Trump. The risk to this kind of a bet is that people like a lot of the fruits of free trade. People like the fact that we can get cheap consumer goods from China. We don't like that it strengthens China. We don't like that it gives China a major national security advantage in some ways over the United States. We don't like to be embarrassed by China, to whom we are so beholden that they get to fly a spy balloon over our country, and we look completely weak. We look like such cowards, we won't even shoot the thing down. We don't, we don't like that stuff, but we do like the cheap TVs. We like the cheap computers. We like, we like that we get more disposable income, but we don't like that we lose our jobs. But we do like that we get a raise when it comes to saving money on products. So it's a, it's a more complicated issue than just, okay, now, free trade used to be good, now free trade bad. But Trump is being quite clear here. One of the arguments about Trump back in 2016 was people said, everyone only likes his inflammatory rhetoric. They're voting for him for, for personality, not for policy. I don't think that's true. I'm with Ann Coulter, who wrote a whole book about this before she decided not to like Trump anymore. But back in 2016, she wrote a whole book about how, no, everyone's getting that backwards. People were voting for Trump because he offered an actual alternative on policy. In, in many ways, people voted for Trump despite his personality, but for his policy, because he was offering something that is much more old school. The free traders in the audience are going to hear this, and they're going to say, oh my goodness, this Trump, he's not a real conservative. He doesn't support free trade. The Republican Party was founded on tariffs. That's, that was one of the founding issues for the Republican Party back in the days of Abraham Lincoln. The Republican Party only became the party of free trade in very recent decades. Protectionism, tariffs, that was the conservative position for a much longer time than free trade has been the conservative position. If you don't want globalism, this is how to stop globalism. Some people like globalism. They think globalism reduces the risk of war between nations. Maybe it does. But it comes with a lot of other problems, like you outsource your political power to international institutions. You lose your sovereignty. In some cases, you lose your way of life. There is a reaction, a natural and I think good political reaction against the liberal globalism we've seen in recent decades. That's what Brexit was about. That's what Trump 2016 was about. And Trump is staking his candidacy right now on the belief that that reaction against globalism has become only more intense. It has not abated at all. And it puts DeSantis in a tough spot because what the Trump campaign is seeing here, I think, is, okay, DeSantis is going to try to run to the right of us, specifically on vaccines. Okay, let's see him run to the right of us on trade. And I don't know how DeSantis is going to react to that. He's a very shrewd politician. He's a very capable governor. But, but we see here some real strategy, I think, or at the very least, some real skill from the Trump campaign. You, when you're running a campaign, you always want to put your opponent in a difficult, if not impossible, position. That is what they have done here on the issue of trade. 
The free traders are losing their minds over this. Paul Ryan was just interviewed. He's probably the most famous free trader Republican of the last 10, 20 years. Paul Ryan was asked, will he attend the RNC next year? Come 2024, the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee, where will you be? It, uh, it depends on who the nominee is. I'll be here if it's somebody not named Trump. You won't show up if it's not if Yeah, it's I'm not Trump. interested in participating in that, no. Even in Wisconsin? Even Wisconsin. I won't show up if it's Trump. That was true of the previous Republican nominees for president in, in 2016. The only living former Republican nominee for president who showed up to the RNC for Trump was Bob Dole. Good old Bob Dole. I love Bob Dole. First candidate I ever voted for. When I was six years old, my mother let me come into the voting booth. She wanted to vote for Clinton. I begged her to vote for Dole. She let me pull the lever for Dole. A young, a young Republican even then. And why are the other Republicans so opposed to Trump? I get it. Paul Ryan, he's been attacked by Trump. He doesn't like Trump's personality. It goes deeper than that. A lot of the antipathy for Trump in the Republican Party is because he is trying to take the party in a different direction. And what, what the, the Paul Ryan types are arguing is that he's trying to take the, the Republican Party in a, in a heretical direction. N- not only unorthodox, totally heretical, violating the sacred belief in free trade and sacred belief in mass migration and sacred belief in market capitalism above all things. As in, and it's not merely an instrument, but an end unto itself. And what Trump is saying is, yeah, I've got, I've got the actual conservative position here. And there are a lot of people who support that. That's why. You couldn't, now, voters, including conservatives, might not like that alternative, but at least we're getting one. And you're, you're seeing this from DeSantis, too. I don't want to say that Trump is the only one leaning into this direction. The era of letting corporations do whatever the hell they want, be it destroying our traditions, grooming our kids, upsetting our society, all in the name of making another one of the almighty dollars, that era is over. Ron DeSantis showed it yesterday when he signed a law depriving Disney, woke Disney, of its previous benefit, its government-provided benefit, to govern its own territory. Today, the corporate kingdom finally comes to an end. There's a new sheriff in town, and accountability will be the order of the day. So what does this bill do? Under this bill, under this bill, Disney still gets some perks. Under this bill, Disney still has exemptions from certain taxes on on different construction materials, on impact fees for using public services. It still gets certain benefits that other corporations also in Florida get, though Disney perhaps gets them to a larger degree. But under the new bill, DeSantis has authority to appoint every member of this special tax district's five-member governing body, subject to approval by the state Senate. So until, until now, until very, very recently, anyone... Uh, the, the board of supervisors here has gotten to appoint a chief executive to manage day-to-day operations, and this has been selected basically by Disney. Now it will be selected by DeSantis, and additionally, anyone who has been employed by Disney in the past three years will be barred from serving on this board. So it's it's really, really smart politics because DeSantis is getting a significant policy win here. 
but he's getting a huge political win. The huge political win is Ron DeSantis is sticking it to woke Disney. DeSantis didn't start this fight, but he's going to finish it. Disney started the fight when they attacked DeSantis for his relatively modest bill on transing the kids. The, the, the libs tried to call it, don't say gay. The conservatives called it, wait till eight. <laughs> the bill said, you can't trans kids until they're in the fourth grade in our schools. Really fairly modest bill. The libs still went crazy about it. So they were lobbying hard against DeSantis and DeSantis brought the hammer down as absolutely he should have. The squishes said, no, don't wield the government against DeSantis. DeSantis said, no, it's okay, guys. This is self-government. This is a republic. I have been elected by the people to represent their interests. Disney is meddling in our state way too much against the will of the people. I'm going to bring down the hammer. It's a major, major political win. And it's a significant policy win, but it's pretty precise because he's still giving Disney a lot of nice stuff. He's still coming to the table here. He's he's further defining himself as the very precise Trump, as the very clever Trump, as the, Trump is a hammer, right? Trump is just this huge sledgehammer. DeSantis is, oh, he's getting the win here, but he's still leaving a little bit for Disney and he's still, he's, he's, he's furthering his campaign as the really hyper-sophisticated, disciplined Trump. Will that persuade? We'll find out. Disney, though, is reeling right now. Disney executives are now reflecting on why people don't like their movies anymore, specifically this movie Lightyear. Remember Lightyear came out? It was the new Toy Story movie. It completely flopped. And it was a movie that had a lesbian kiss in it and where they replaced Tim Allen, one of the only conservative actors in Hollywood. They replaced his voice and had some other guy, some lib guy voice, Buzz Lightyear. So here's what Disney said. He said, We've done a lot of soul searching about that because we all love the movie. We love the characters and the premise. I think probably what we've ended on in terms of what went wrong is that we asked too much of the audience. That was Pixar's chief creative officer. When they hear Buzz, they're like, great, where's Mr. Potato Head and Woody and Rex? And then we drop them into this science fiction film that they're like, what? Even if they've read the material in the press, it was just a little too distant, both in concept And I think in the way that characters were drawn, that they were portrayed, it was much more of a science fiction. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think the concept was pretty easy. The concept was Buzz Lightyear is a toy and Buzz Lightyear is based on a movie character. So this is the movie. Okay. Yeah, maybe that won't be quite as popular as Toy Story, one of the most popular cartoon franchises of all time. But I get it. That's fine. I don't, think it's, I don't think the audience is so stupid that they couldn't get that concept. Sci-fi is a very popular genre. I don't think it's that the audience just can't get into sci-fi. No, it was the wokeness, guys. It was the lesbian kiss, and it was the replacing the voice. Now, some people said, well, they had to replace the voice because it's a different kind of character. It's Buzz Lightyear the movie character, not Buzz Lightyear the toy. Yeah, it's a little too clever by half, if you ask me. Because... Toys are just, they just play recordings of the movie characters. So if the joke is that the the quality of the toy is so low that the voice is totally different, it just doesn't play. I think they probably leaned into booting Tim Allen because he's a conservative. And I think that the movie flopped because it was woke. And in the press, it was being portrayed correctly as woke. And then the audience didn't show up. It's not that complicated, guys. We talked yesterday about the El Salvadoran president who had that wonderful video and this incredible policy 
where he's, he's cut his murder rate by 58% in El Salvador by just locking up all the criminals. Turns out it's really simple. You want to you cut the murder rate? Lock up the murderers. It's really simple. You want audiences to go show up to your movies? Don't make them these woke, tedious lectures. Give the audience what they want. They're going to show up to your movie. Speaking of groomers like Disney, Randy Weingarten, head of the teacher union, is out doing what she does best, which is whining and screaming and trying to get more money and power. This time at the Supreme Court, because there is a challenge to the Biden administration's ability to to forgive student loans with the stroke of a pen. Take a listen. And this is what really pisses me off. During the pandemic, we understood that small businesses were hurting and we helped them and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. Big businesses were hurting and we helped them and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it. The corporations challenge it. The student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right. That is not fair. And that is what we are fighting as well when we say, cancel student debt. That was Randy Weingarten doing her Howard Dean impression. We're going to get money from you. And you're going to give us more money for Woo! Wow. Not, not very persuasive. And the rhetorical device she uses is not very persuasive because what does she say? She says, when it's about forgiving money to businesses, that's fine. But when it's about our students, our, I, Randy Weingarten, the woman who wouldn't let our students back into school for two years, even though they faced statistically pretty much zero risk from the coronavirus, but I didn't want to do it because I insisted that my union members get more time off and get paid for it. I, Randy Weingarten, who care about our students, I want to make sure they get their student loans forgiven. Randy Weingarten's students, of which she has none, she doesn't teach any, she doesn't actually have any students, she's a union boss. Randy Weingarten's students, though, the students that her members are teaching, don't have any student loans. They're public school students. High school students, middle school students, elementary school students. They don't have student loans. What is Randy Weingarten talking about? She's not at the Supreme Court representing students. She's at the Supreme Court representing her members, the teacher union members. They're the ones with the student loans. The student debt crisis rally in D.C., is to stop a court challenge to Biden canceling $10,000 in federal student loans for individuals making less than $125,000 per year or households earning less than $250,000 per year annually as of 2020 and 2021. That describes the teacher union members. As always, the teacher union is not about the students. The teacher union harms students on pretty much every single front. The teacher union exists not to help students, but to oppose students and to support the teacher union members. They're the ones that they're there for. We're going to support our students by locking them out of school and saddling them with even more debt. Woo! Not persuasive. You know one of the great things about Jordan Peterson is he dispenses his wisdom with tough love in equal measure. 
And you will find plenty of both those things in this new five-part series out on Daily Wire Plus called Vision and Destiny. The series is designed to help you find clarity and direction. This is badly needed. A lot of people have no idea who they are, especially when it comes to sex and gender. Here's a clip from Vision and Destiny explaining Jordan's view. What is gender? Well, it's what people feel they are. It's like, yeah, that's your theory, eh? That's a stupid theory. There's, it's not going anywhere, that theory. And so that's, that's just a theory that enables you to claim something like the primacy of your narcissistic whim. It has nothing to do with the careful delineation of what actually constitutes identity. And so it's complex because there, are, there is variability in masculinity and femininity on top of the binary biological substructure. And so that also means that you have to have a certain amount of tolerance for role variability. And you should, because there are masculine women and there are feminine men. And it's harder for them, in some real sense, to adopt the role that would be easily commensurate with their biological identity, because they share many features temperamental features that are characteristic of the opposite sex. But that doesn't mean that they're born in the wrong body. The first two episodes are out right now. New episodes are releasing every week, but it's all exclusive for Daily Wire Plus members. All the rest of you hoi polloi out there who won't fork over your money, you don't get Dr. Jordan Peterson's very interesting views on gender and sex and lobsters and all the rest of it. So head on over. I got to work on my, it's not quite there yet. It's close. It's not quite there yet. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Vision and Destiny. Speaking of schools, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said something really true. Something wrong? Did I, hold on. Am I dreaming? Am I, did I uh, I'm going to pinch myself to, oh, Mayor Eric Adams in New York said something really true and important that we should all learn from. Something's going on in our cities. Chicago threw out Lori Lightfoot. The New York City mayor is saying something true and smart. Eric Adams described how our schools, specifically schools in New York City, have plummeted to such depths of degradation. If we are bringing our best fight in the ring, we would not have homeless in this city. We would not have a crisis of domestic violence. We would not have children because when we took prayers out of schools, guns came into schools. When we took prayer out of schools, guns came into schools. Fact check, true. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's not giving an historical study here. He's making a philosophical and anthropological point. This is how human beings work. When you stop them from worshiping God, it's not even just that you don't encourage it anymore. You're not allowed to have prayer in schools now. So when you discourage them from worshiping God and turning their eyes up to good things and to virtue and to truth, they're going to turn it somewhere else. They're going to turn their attention to bad things. They're going to turn their attention to false idols. They're going to turn their attention to falsehoods and, and vice. That is what's going to happen because we live in time and space. We're human beings. We got to do something. 
There's no neutrality. There's no push-pause. When you take prayers out of schools, that's when the guns are going to come into schools or when the pornography is going to come into schools or when the whatever is going to come into schools. Democrats love that we took prayer out of schools. They love that we took the Bible out of schools. And yet here, even New York City Mayor Eric Adams, what he just said, it would be indistinguishable from what some right-winger down in Texas politician would have said, some Christian fundamentalist, theocratic guy. It's the same thing that Eric Adams just said. Eric Adams just said we need prayer in schools. Obviously we do. If you had said 10 years ago, if you had said we need prayer in schools, you would have been considered a fringe right-wing Republican. But, But this is where we're seeing a little bit of hope. Chicago throws out Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Adams says things that are interesting. You're seeing a little, some rays of hope here creeping in, which is that people are beginning to realize, oh, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe when you create a national policy turning your country away from God, maybe that's not going to work out so great. And it has not worked out. It's really simple stuff. And I'm turning my attention back to the El Salvador president. Actually, after we did the segment on him yesterday, I noticed that President Bukele in El Salvador tweeted out the bit from this show and and quoted the segment. And then I went to the president's Twitter page. I said, oh, that's kind of cool. He tweeted out the segment. And then I saw he had another video. And this is kind of the answer to the propaganda video of the MS-13 gangsters that he put out. You know, uh, President Bukele has arrested thousands and thousands of these gangsters. I think there's 65,000 of them now locked up. These guys look like demon bugs. They've got weird green face tattoos and he's humiliating them. And he's, he's sent the army out to deal with the crime problem and reduce the murder rate by 58%. Well, now here's the other side of that. Not just the doom and gloom and fire and brimstone and we're going to get you bad guys. Here's the hopeful message for the rest of the country. I will translate by reading the text on the screen because my Spanish is no good. President Bukele standing out, talking to his troops in a field. For eight months, we've been fighting this war against the gangs, and thank God we're winning. This is a very surprising victory that is nearly within our grasp. Let it be clear that the glory is for God, and it is God's glory. We humans are lucky to be instruments of God, all of us, to bring peace, liberty, and happiness to the Salvadoran people. These values were probably not strong in this land and were strong in other lands. And that's why those lands grew and became great. But they are losing those values now. And on the other hand, in El Salvador, the values that previously were degraded in our country are now the most important ones. Just take a look at yourselves, young men and women who embody all these values. How could a nation not rise up with values such as these? How could a nation not rise up when it puts God first and then puts in the hard work and effort with these kinds of values? Beautiful. Political science students will be studying this speech. History students will be studying this speech years from now. This is beautiful simple, and true. The president of El Salvador sounds like an American founding father in that speech. More so, he sounds like Governor Bradford, Governor Winthrop, or some of the very earliest Americans who helped to build our country. They kept it very simple. 
It's just like the policy. What's the policy? You want to fight crime, lock up the criminals. You want to build a great nation? Put God first. Everything else will follow. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. All the other goods will follow after that. President Bukele, he says, in our country, these values had been degraded. Other nations had those values. That's why those other nations became great. And now those other nations are turning away from those values. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. And he's showing you something beautiful that happens throughout history. And that you see, certainly in the history of salvation, certainly you see this throughout the Bible, that very often it can be small, mighty groups, small underdog groups who put on the armor of God, who can astound and frankly embarrass the supposedly far greater nations, which have profited profited from God's grace and then turned their backs on him, gone and done something else. Doesn't turn out well for those countries. Doesn't turn out well for those empires. He says that line, how could a nation with these values not rise up, not become great? And not, it's very, very simple. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's simple. President Bukele's speech here could have been given not just by the founding fathers or the early colonial Americans, could have been given by any great leader in our civilization going back to antiquity all the way up until about 20 years ago. Now we don't hear these speeches very often. It's pretty simple stuff, folks. These big political problems that our opponents want to pretend are so complicated. Oh, well, you know, gender and sex, it's so com- It's not complicated. Men are men and women are women. Well, you know, the issue of reproductive freedom. No, it's not. Don't kill babies. It's really simple. Well, the issue of immigration is so complicated. Ronald Reagan said, illegal immigration is not complicated. It's illegal. Stop it. Crime is not complicated. Lock up the criminals. Build more prisons. Lock them up. Punish them harder. You'll get less crime. How do we have a great country? Look toward God. Look to the source and summit of goodness himself, being himself. You'll have a good country. You look away from God, you're going to have a bad country. It's very, very simple. We have got the rest of the show coming up now. We have got some TikTok haters, according to my producer. He tells me we've got some TikTok haters. I have got to. Being a real cool, hip TikTok influencer myself. I've got to react in real time to these haters. So the rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. (laughs) 